This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb, Sycamore, covering much of Central and some of Northern Illinois. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember that we're brought to you by you. You make everything that we do possible. So any donations that you can make to Catholic Spirit Radio would be greatly appreciated. If you want to make a donation, you can go to catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and it will tell you there how to make a donation and a lot more information about ourselves. Uh, We do have some events coming up here uh, shortly, uh, September 29th and 30th, which is just really around the corner. Uh, There will be a Catholic Spirit Radio trip to Canton, Ohio, and of course that's the home of Mother Angelica. Uh, and uh, there will be a, a side trip uh, when in Canton also to Rhoda Weiss and uh, her home and shrine. And she is the lady uh, who greatly infer- influenced Rita Rizzo into becoming uh, a nun. And, of course, uh, she became Mother Angelica and started uh, EWTN and Catholic Spirit Radio, of course, is greatly dependent on that. There will also be on the way a trip to uh, St. Mary of Woods, Indiana, and that's right near Terre Haute, and uh, that is a shrine, uh, and it is to, uh, to uh, Teresa Guerin, who uh, was a nun from France that came over and uh, started St. Mary of Woods in that area, and you'll learn a lot about her. So it's going to be a really wonderful trip. And uh, if you want to know more about that, go to our website, catholicspiritradio.com. You'll find out a lot more about it and how you can sign up for the trip. So be sure to do that. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about last week. Last week, I talked about the rosary. And uh, Atlantic uh, Magazine had an article uh, about the rosary being used as a weapon and the Catholics were somehow on, on the same level as terrorists using the rosary sort of like as a, a gun or a, uh, a weapon against other people. And it was showing that, you know, they're non-Christian or non-generous uh, uh, spirit in the use of the rosary. And uh, it's just a sign of what's going on today. And I've said so many times that uh, we're living in, in sort of an upside-down world or a backwards world. Uh, it seems like we're living in a world gone mad. I know most of you have probably heard about California and Washington starting this idea of nothing but electric cars. And when California itself uh, really is on the verge of having blackouts as it is with electricity and the extremes that we're going to and uh, some of the things that are going on in our schools. And I pointed out before we can look at what happened to science over the last couple of years And the science was uh, totally convoluted and misused and wasn't really following the principles of science at all. And that brings up again what I want to say is that uh, the Western civilization that we live in, one of the greatest civilization probably was ever built, and that doesn't mean that everything about it was always good. Uh, Human beings uh, are sinful. Human beings make errors. We don't live in a perfect world. 
and there are always downsides to everything. But nevertheless, Western civilization was probably is and was and hopefully will be, but maybe not the greatest civilization that has ever come into existence uh, anywhere. It did more to help people and to uh, stop a lot of the the downsides in the world, slavery and everything else was actually ended by Western civilization. And uh, that was built on the Catholic Church. It was the Catholic Church that actually built Western civilization. And it was Catholic dogma, Catholic teaching that caused universities to come into existence. It was in Catholic uh, cathedrals and other places that science came into existence and was regularized and recognized and organizations and so forth of scientists came into existence. All of that uh, came into existence on the principles of the Catholic Church. It was not the Enlightenment uh, and it was not the Renaissance or any of those things. Those were actually stepped backwards. And this whole idea of the Dark Ages is a myth. Uh, actually, when Rome fell and it was on its way down and it certainly had nothing to do with Christianity causing it to fall, it was Christianity that brought the world back and built Western civilization, and that was done for the first 1,500 years by the Catholic Church. And when you take the dogmas and uh, principles that the church was built on and rearrange them or get rid of them or lose them or turn away and turn back to nothing but materialism, science itself becomes paganized, and uh, just like it is being paganized today uh, with a lot of the this, the things that are going on uh, about marriage and about uh, gender and, and the rest of it, uh, it soon reverts back to the pagan foundations, you know, that it came from, or I shouldn't say foundations, but it reverts back to the pagan type of thinking uh, that the church overcame and the science starts to die, and that's what's happening in our, our society today. So uh, the Greeks had a saying, and that saying was that uh, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. And I don't think anyone can deny if they really take an honest look around at what's going on uh, in civilization today and compare it to our just very recent history, going back just 100 years or so, you can see a, a difference like day and night. And uh, if it keeps on going in this direction, Western civilization will certainly go with it. And we've seen what happens in some of the other countries, uh, uh, such as uh, Venezuela and other places where an advanced civilization quickly deteriorated into uh, poverty and ignorance and superstition in a very short period of time. And so uh, because of that, I want to talk a little bit about what uh, we have ahead of us. Uh, you can see that the so-called uh, progressives uh, are going to push back quite a bit against the court decision. I want to talk about that uh, on abortion, the Dobbs decision. Uh, no one ever expected it to happen, and it's sort of a miracle that it did, uh, but it will not stand uh, without a lot of further effort on the part of people, and uh, Christians, especially Catholics, are people that should be in the forefront of that fight to preserve uh, the Dobbs decision and expand it in other areas and to other things. 
and not take uh, it for granted that uh, that the whole the fight is over. So we're going to talk a little bit about you know what's uh, going on after Dobbs or in you know after after Roe has been overturned. Talk a little bit about how the court got to be uh, where it is today and what it was in the past. And uh, one of the worst things that ever happened with the Supreme Court uh, happened with the. Uh, understanding of law by a court supreme court justice in the 19th century oliver wendell holmes and i'm sure a lot of people have heard of him he was a supreme court justice and uh holmes arrived at the idea that the law uh, wasn't built on transcendent principles such as you know the natural law that uh, the law was built on plain human uh earthly down-to-earth experience and that uh, laws could be crafted by people without all of these highfalutin principles in order to fit the times and you can see what happened to the court uh, because of that theory uh, especially taking fire in the colleges and universities at that time back around 1871 or so 18, 1881 I think it was and then the universities, by the turn of the century, began teaching that idea of law. And it wasn't long before the whole concept of natural law was overturned. And then we had the Supreme Court, uh, under the auspices of the Warren Court, uh, it became, instead of a court trying to adjudicate the law, it became uh, a substitute for legislation. In fact, it became the primary legislator of the most important issues uh, of our time in the United States. And it led directly up to the kinds of decisions that uh, caused and came to uh, conclusions in, in instances like Roe versus Wade and the, abor- the whole abortion situation and uh, other issues. And for a long time, from about 1960 to around 1975, and up until now, uh, the court uh, became the most powerful part of our government, uh, the legislative and uh, you know the judicial uh, process, especially the legislative process, uh, was o- overtaken by the judicial process, and uh, that has changed. And there is going to be a lot of pushback by the so-called progressive left against that decision. And so I'm going to read from an article that talks uh, about that pushback and what we are likely to face uh, as time goes by here uh, when the fact uh, actually sets in that uh, Roe has been overturned and it's not likely to be brought back again uh, in its own, in its, in its same form at the uh, Supreme Court level. And what the left will do as a pushback against that. So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to read from an article in Chronicles Magazine. And uh, it's uh, the, uh, I'm trying to look at the issue here, the uh, August uh, 2022 issue. And uh, the title of the article is The Court Versus the Hydra Left. I'm looking at my wife over here. I think she's signaling to me. What is it? Uh, I just wanted to, I know you, he left his regular glasses at home and he's got these uh, reading glasses, you know, generic ones. And I wasn't sure he could quite see. I just wanted to check the date. 
for you. But okay. you got it. I, I have it here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to make sure I had the right date. Anyway, at any rate, the article is uh, by a uh, Wesley Stein, and it's called The Court Versus the Hydra Left. And uh, what that, of course, means, the Hydra in Greek uh, mythology was a monster with many, many heads. And when you fought that monster and you cut off a head with your sword, another head would grow right back. And it's sort of a representation of uh, like a government, for example, has many heads. Uh, society itself has many heads. And it was sort of a symbolic representation of uh, a lot of times when you go up against society or up against the law or up against uh, some kind of an organization, you're fighting a lot of different uh, ideas and things at the same time. And as fast as it seems you get rid of one, another one grows right back. And we sort of live in a, in a society like that today. It seems when I'm saying the world has sort of gone mad, uh, it seems like we, we sort of like stumble along or bumble along or, you know, stagger along, if you want to use that term, from one crisis to another. And as fast as one head is cut off or one problem is faced, it seems like, you know, we have another one. You know, for example, now we've got states that are declaring that, uh, uh, gasoline powered vehicles will no longer be allowed. And by 2035, all new cars have to be, uh, electrically powered, and yet at the same time, there's no no plan whatsoever of uh, how this will be done. Uh, California, for example, uh, has uh, near blackouts now, as I was saying, and and uh, there's there's no way that they can charge up all of these cars and everything without some kind of increase in their power. And uh, what that will be, it certainly isn't going to come from wind, and it certainly isn't going to come from solar power. So. Uh, they have no idea uh, what it might be, and you know that's a new crisis that is 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 going to be real and come along. And then you know we're sort of supposedly fighting this climate change crisis, which uh, people have been pushing this idea around for the last fifty years, and no one really knows if the climate is changing or not, or even if it does change. Uh, it always has in the past changed from time to time. It changes over a long period of time, and we can't be sure exactly what's causing that change. Uh, there's no way to know for certain that uh, the human activity is causing it or that many other factors may be causing it. At, at any point, we're moving along from one crisis to another, and it's like facing the hydra. Every time you cut one head off, you face another. So I want to talk about that and uh, what is likely to happen with uh, the uh, overturning of Roe uh, versus Wade, what the uh, uh, the right, if you want to call it the right, or what conservative uh, you know movement is in for. And uh, the fact is, is that the, the progressive left is certainly enraged over this decision, and they're going to fight back. And uh, what's the likelihood that uh, uh, they, you know, that that the, the movement, uh, the conservative movement, will continue or will it collapse? Uh, because uh, there's going to be a lot of pushback here. So that's what the article deals with, and uh, that's what uh, I'm going to read, and we'll see, you know, what that outlook is. So we're going to start here. Uh, there is a little. There is little doubt that the U.S. Supreme Court's recent ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization was the uh, conservative movement's biggest political victory in recent times. Mere electoral gains like those in 1980, 1994, and 2010, failing as they did to result in substantial le legislative change, pale in comparison. The Dobbs decision, meanwhile, 
actually managed to reverse late 20th, 20th century liberalism's biggest legislative achievement as accomplished in the Warren and Burger courts, which consisted of finding increasingly creative ways to say the old separation of powers is abolished. We are the real legislature now. And that certainly was the case with the Warren Court. And that was all based on what I talked about earlier than that, Oliver Wendell Holmes with his idea that experience was more important than uh, uh, natural law in the things to do with, with the uh, courts and with the law. It says, Justice, Justice Alito's majority opinion in Dobbs is a blunt repudiation of that whole train of jurisprudence. And by the same token, it is a major blow against America's ruling class. And by ruling class, I mean not only upper class leftists who have long used judicial activism as a tool to disenfranchise their political enemies, but also the leading lights of the pre-Trump Republican Party. These people, it bears remembering, would sometimes pay lip service to the pro-life wing of their base, but in practice, they always treated the anti-abortion movement as, at best, an unimportant distraction from issues like paying off debts to Wall Street and maximizing America's involvement in various Middle Eastern wars. And I think the guy's being a little bit sarcastic there, but I can understand the sarcasm. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, it wasn't until uh, President Trump that a president even attended, you know, the pro-life uh, movement, the March for Life in January. Uh, George Bush and others uh, who professed uh, to be pro-life never did uh, get themselves involved with it at all. Uh, it goes on here with the collapse of the uh, socially liberal majority that has held sway on the high court since the 1960s. America's ruling class has lost a weapon and has struggled to keep the deplorables down. But as anyone who has followed the news can see, these elites aren't exactly walking away with their tails between their legs. And so we're going to stop here. In other words, the left is not going to take this sitting down. They're already beginning to fight back, and that's what we're going to talk about. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about the uh, the, the Dobbs decision, and uh, we're talking about after the Dobbs decision, uh, what's going to happen uh, with the the uh, the left, uh, the progressives, uh, what what they are going to try to do, and uh, that just because we have the Dobbs decision and the Supreme Court has. Uh, turned over Roe versus Wade, it doesn't mean that abortion issue is over with, and it certainly isn't going to be taken sitting down by the left. Uh, they, as I said, they haven't walked away with their tails between their legs, and there's a big fight coming up here in the future. And Catholics, of course, should understand what it's going to be like, and they should be involved, and they should understand that uh, it's a hugely important issue. 
and it was the Catholic Church that built Western civilization. And without that foundation, you can see our civilization is already starting to unravel. I think more and more people are starting to realize that, even people who resist that idea, and maybe their politics are different politics uh, uh, than uh, what we're talking about sometimes here. But the fact is, is I think more and more people can see that there's something amiss and going wrong. And so uh, the fact is, is that uh, if we are going to, I think, turn around our civilization and stabilize it, we're going to have to get involved and understand what is going on and see what the abortion issue here is going to be and uh, what we're likely to have coming up here from the people who call themselves progressives. As a strategy for maintaining class uh, dominance, the living constitutionalism that prevailed from the days of Justice Earl Warren and William uh, Brennan until June of this year worked very well, especially when used against a weak and disorganized opposition. Indeed, it would be silly not to admit the Warren, Brennan, and their ilk were able to govern the way that they did largely because they were ruling over a generation of soft men, men much softer than their ancestors who had fought in the revolution or on both sides of the Civil War. After all, the parliamentary regime against which Samuel Adams and Patrick Henry rebelled was no more unrepresentative than, and certainly not as destructive as, America's uh, homegrown system of the of judicial absolutism would be during its era of peak power from about 1960 to 1975. In addition to taking advantage of the softness of its subject peoples, the Warren Court also benefited from the intense racial discord in society. Under normal circumstances, black Americans and the whites who sympathize with their struggle for legal equality would not have been content to live under a political system founded on the disenfranchisement of everyone who was not a progressive lawyer. But at a time when opposition to the court's power uh, grabs was driven mainly by the desire of Southern whites to keep the black man down, too many well-intentioned people were willing to ignore the erosion of representative government that accompanied the victories of the civil rights movement. Just ask yourself this question. Were there millions of deeply religious black Americans who were upset about the Supreme Court's decision to ban prayer in public schools? You bet. But none of these people were going to start marching behind the impeach Earl Warren banner as long as they saw him and his allies as their best line of defense against the like of Bull Connor and racism. And when they mention Bull Connor here, for people that don't know, he was a Southern sheriff, uh, you know, who sort of became a symbol of the uh, opposition against the civil rights movement. And uh, the fact is, is that because of that, and because the, the Warren Court was in favor of the civil rights movement, blacks uh, ignored the other things that the Warren Court was doing that they certainly themselves would not have been in favor of. For the upper-class progressives, uh, divide and conquer worked. The one thing that almost all supporters of, say, forced busing had in common was that they were wealthy enough to send their children to schools that weren't affected by the experiment. Soon, the Supreme Court found itself playing the role that Octavian and his heirs had played in first-century Rome. 
Like early imperial Rome, the United States was still nominally a republic. Nevertheless, the elected uh, arm of the U.S. government had been relegated to the role that the senators, consuls, and tribunes played under the principate. That is to say, these elected officials still existed, but their power was limited to those issues on which the emperor, in our case, of course, the Supreme Court, did not have a strong opinion. And that was the case for a long time. The Supreme Court, on all really important issues, ruled. However, in addition to its strengths, the dictatorship by committee system that the Warren Court had set up and that the Burger Court had expanded upon also had its weaknesses. One of these was that unlike in the Roman system, where the stronger emperors were able to choose their own successors, uh, replacement Supreme Court justices are chosen by the president. While most justices have managed to time their retirements, so as to get replaced by someone with a matching ideology, the unpredictability of aging and death has randomly allowed some presidents to get much more nominating power than other presidents. Progressivism was riding high throughout the 1960s and 1970s, and even after the failed Nixon counter-revolution, the balance of the Supreme Court was still 4-4-1, that is, four liberals, four swing voters, and only one real conservative, William Rehnquist. This distribution, it is worth noting, was a circumstance under which Roe versus Wade was initially decided. But then, things started to turn against the left. Jimmy Carter, alone among all presidents who served at least one full term, made no Supreme Court appointments. Ronald Reagan made three, and George H.W. Bush made two. Then Bill Clinton, though he was a two-termer like Reagan, got to fill only two seats. If Reagan and Bush had taken their commitments to the pro-life movement seriously, then Roe v. Wade would have been overturned during their time in the White House. After all, both of the original dissenters in that case— Byron White and William Rehnquist were still on the court when Bush left office. But Reagan and Bush's conservatism was only skin deep, and despite their campaign promises, they turned out to to be content choosing judges of unknown character such as Sandra Day O'Connor and David Souter, who were then palmed off as wins to the gullible Republican base. America, therefore, ended up spending almost 30 years under the boot of Justice Anthony Kennedy. Abortion rights remained intact, along with the rest of the Supreme Court's sexual revolution jurisprudence, which continued to grow with the addition of a number of gay rights cases. But the court also gave the right some small wins on First and Second Amendment cases, and nothing it did after 1980 or so advanced anybody's agenda by the leaps and bounds that had been common in earlier decades. In short, SCOTUS had become a sclerotic institution. Perhaps, dare I say, a conservative institution in the barest sense of the word, since on most issues it simply defended the status quo. Uh, the randomness struck again. Then randomness struck again. After three two-term presidents in a row had gotten only two court, app- court appointments each, Donald Trump, in his one term, got three. This happened for no better reason than that both uh, Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
had shuffled off their mortal coils at exactly the worst times for the progressive left. If Scalia had died just 18 months earlier, or if Ginsburg had held on for 100 days longer, Roe versus Wade would still be in force. Likewise, if Donald Trump had given at least one of his Supreme Court seats to a pro-choice judge, and you have to go all the way back to Herbert Hoover to find a Republican president who didn't, but none of those things happened, and it was the left's unlucky fate to watch in horror as the smoke cleared away from four years of Trump, revealing a court with a solid 5-1-3 conservative majority. And now the left is losing big at the Supreme Court. They are losing on abortion, they are losing on guns, they are losing on religious freedom, and they are losing on the powers of regulatory agencies like the EPA. As a result, the ruling class is very angry. This should not surprise us, since for a long time, these people have been used to doing their governing through the courts and administrative agencies without the pesky interference of voters. In domestic politics, no less than in foreign affairs, they are convinced of the illegitimacy of any regime that does not govern in accordance with their preferences. With typical Orwellian doublespeak, they insist that allowing the abortion issue to be resolved by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting is an attack on democracy. And we hear that all the time. We hear it from President Biden constantly. Every time something goes a different way, somehow it's an attack on democracy, even though the Dobbs decision was a restoration of democracy. It put the, uh, it put the uh, approval or disapproval of abortion back into the hands of the people and through the legislatures and not just through the Supreme Court. Uh, but nevertheless, you hear this constant, uh, anything that uh, get, get goes against uh, the, the progressive left is somehow some kind of an attack on democracy, when actually what they represent is not democracy, uh, what they represent is an oligarchy. This represents a rather important paradigm shift in American politics. For well over 60 years, we have lived under a system where despite the lip service that was paid to the idea that the three branches of government are co-equal and that each limits the power of the other, the Supreme Court could count on absolute deference from all other organs of government. But this may be ending. Ever since Amy Comey Barrett was nominated to succeed Justice Ginsburg, People on the left have been discussing court packing. They have been discussing the exceptions clause. They have been pointing out that the Constitution does not actually establish an order of precedence among the three branches of government, and that the court claimed to be the foremost has been challenged by some of the most respected presidents, such as Abraham Lincoln and Franklin Roosevelt. And it was in the past. You know, of course, recently, up until now, uh, the left has considered the Supreme Court as the most powerful branch of uh, the three branches of government. But uh, again, <laughs> it just seems like uh, turning on a dime uh, as soon as something goes against their, you know, their way, uh, they change their minds. The left has also been pointing to the reasoning of uh, Madison and Hamilton in their Federalist Papers, arguments to the effect that the judiciary was meant to be least the least dangerous branch of the federal government, with the Constitution leaving, leaving open 
to the executive and legislative branches plenty of avenues to limit the, the court powers. What this means in more down-to-earth terms is that the Supreme Court is about to get a lot less powerful. We must remember that there are only nine justices. They only hear a few dozen cases per year. Their political power depends largely on having a myriad of people in the lower courts, the administrative state, the news media, and the professoriat who are sympathetic to their goals. As long as the court's agenda align with that of the broader ruling class, that is, with the aims of the wealthy liberals and neocons who fill Americans' other governing institutions, the court had the support that it needed to transform America in accordance with the will of the left. Uh, now that the court has shifted to the right, it is finding that, is hardly, that it has hardly any support for transforming America back to its constitutional origins. This can be seen in the way that the court, other than the U.S. Supreme Court, have responded to the Dobbs decision. Once Dobbs was decided, abortion providers in conservative states immediately filed dozens of lawsuits in lower courts asking that their state's laws against abortion be blocked anyway. Some argued that the laws were unconstitutional because they were vague. Most of the vagueness suits lasted for only a few days, but Arizona's personhood law appears to be still tied up in litigation. Meanwhile, in Georgia, when the attorney general asked that the district court to uh, hit the institution on its heartbeat law, the district court gave the parties 21 days to file briefs explaining how the new precedent in Dobbs would affect the case. During this time, the law remains on hold since it is very clear to everybody that the effect of Dobbs uh, the, the, the effect of the Dobbs ruling is to totally remove the abortion question from federal jurisdiction, this is an obvious case of unprincipled foot dragging on the part of the district court. Still, the left isn't above such tactics. Then there are the abortion laws that have been blocked in state courts. State judges in Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, Louisiana, and Utah, yes, Utah, have ruled that their state's constitutions include an implicit right to abortion. Since, the conser- since conservative jurists, unlike liberals, tend to adhere to federalism, the federal Supreme Court is very unlikely to do anything about these abuses of power. If political majorities in those states want to ban abortion, they will have to overcome judicial activism all over again, only this time at the state level. One must also consider the fact that 49 years of legal abortion nationwide, American culture has grown so used to it that majorities in most states have no desire to change the status quo. Thus, we see Ron DeSantis, the celebrity conservative governor du jour putting a bill through the Florida legislature to abandon abortions only after 15 weeks of gestation. For comparison, abortion is prohibited in France after 14 weeks. Now that banning abortion is a live political issue, we can expect corporate media oligopoly to go all in on supporting the pro-choice side. Uh, Thus, we see that while the Dobbs decision has created a big leak in the boat of the ruling neoliberal neocon alliance, the people who make up this alliance are working very hard to plug that leak. 
They may not get back to having legal abortion in each and every state, but they have so many tools at hand that they are likely to get close. And it remains possible that if the Democrats win enough Senate seats, they will add justices to the Supreme Court or build abortion clinics on federal lands in each state and try to insulate their decision to do so from judicial review or do something else aimed at rendering the Dobbs ruling irrelevant. An effective conservative pushback isn't likely, unfortunately. After all, past conservative triumphs at the Supreme Court have been successfully undermined by the broader legal profession and the administrative state. Just remember, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, which has been largely ignored by the lower courts, with artists still being sued out of everything they own for refusing to service homosexual weddings. We're going to have to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. The next Catholic Spirit Radio pilgrimage is September 29th through 30th. We'll be going to Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica. We'll tour the Mother Angelica Museum and visit the Rhoda Weiss Miracle House. Rhoda had the stigmata and interceded for the curing of Mother's physical ailment. This bus trip also includes a tour of St. Mother Theodore Guerin Shrine at St. Mary of the Woods, Indiana. Check the Catholic Spirit Radio website for details. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. We're back from my break. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about the uh, pushback that is going to be happening against the Dobbs decision. Uh, reading an article from Chronicles Magazine entitled The Court Versus the Hydra Left. And uh, as I said earlier, uh, the Hydra was a mythological Greek monster uh, that grew a new head every time it got one of its heads cut off. And it seems like, you know, this is what is happening with the progressive left. Uh, They may have had a head cut off in the sense that the uh, abortion ruling, the Roe versus uh, Wade ruling was overturned. But nevertheless, they will come back with lots of other uh, means of fighting back, and uh, some of those uh, uh, are what we're talking about and are going to have to be dealt with. And it goes on here to, to talk about, it says, the Supreme Court is no longer a belligerent in the culture wars, but the state courts, the universities, the press, the administrative state, and the major corporations are still lined up against the American people. So there's a lot more Hydra heads here. Uh, we're talking here again. Uh, the state courts are going to be lined up. The universities are going to be lined up against this. The press is lined up against this. The administrative state is lined up against this. And that is the deep state, what people call the swamp. And the major corporations are also lined up against the American people. And uh, we, we want to also remember to include, again, we mentioned it earlier, but the federal courts. I mean, there are a lot of federal courts uh, lower than the Supreme Court, and a lot of those will be manipulated and used by uh, the left. And those courts are not so likely to push back as much because uh, – uh, the, the right respects federalism, and uh, when those federal courts rule, uh, you won't get as much uh, uh, trying to overturn them from the right as you would, uh, the left would be willing to do in the opposite case. So this is what uh, we're going to be up against. At any rate, it says, uh, uh, 
and they these all these organizations they will continue to wield the bulk of the real power in this country and most of the republicans who rode into office on the coattails of donald trump just like the hangers-on of george w bush before him have shown that they are unprepared to fight back many of them don't even want to fight back consider the trump appointed judge who ruled that it is unconstitutional for alabama to ban parents from sterilizing their minor children with puberty blockers. I mean, you know, this is one of the things I was talking about earlier when I said, uh, whom the gods would destroy, they first made mad. Can you imagine allowing parents to take their children and mutilate them, you know, with puberty blockers, girls whose breasts and so forth are... uh, stopped from working and whose internal organs are stopped from working and it's sort of a chemical castration of boys and that kind of thing going on the mutilation of kids we would never have 50 years ago even less than that we would never have allowed that kind of thing well to go you've on. got to add to it too the uh educational system in some states there now i know i think california and one other state some suits by parents coming up because the teachers have kept from the parents their uh, their part in this. And promoting this. Yeah, and promoting it. And even to the point where kids are taking drugs to sterilize themselves and so forth without the parents' knowledge. Exactly. So it goes both ways. I mean, on the one hand, uh, we're letting parents who are irresponsible, in my opinion— do things to their children that would never allowed to be done. And on the other hand, in cases where parents are responsible and want to work to protect their children from such madness, uh, there are school systems that are allowing the teachers to help the kids do these kinds of things behind the backs of their parents, you know, to consider themselves transgender. In one case, it was only found out by the parents after their daughter had tried to commit suicide at school two times. Right. And then the school finally, somehow by somebody, uh, got the parents involved and the parents found out what was going on. But can you imagine that? I mean, this is the whole idea that somehow or another the state owns your children, not you. Right. And, and, and this is something that people have to hear and they have to understand that this is going on in America. And that we as Catholics must be on the cutting edge of opposing this. And we have to become involved. We have to try and understand these things. We have to understand that our civilization was built. If Catholics may want to disagree with a lot of the teachings of the church, but the civilization that they live in and has given them so much was built on those doctrines and those dogmas of the Catholic Church. Science was built on it. Like I say, our cathedrals were some of the first scientific laboratories in existence. And the church was never against science, despite of all the myths and all of the propaganda against it, especially the Galileo myth, the idea that somehow or another, you know, the church was against science when Galileo wanted to point out that the earth went around the sun instead of vice versa. But I've talked about that issue before. And, uh, the, the, the church certainly would have changed his mind had Galileo had any evidence, of course, which he did not. At any rate, uh, we'll go on here. Is there anything more you want to say before I 
No, yeah, that's they, basically uh, it. Okay. I mean, parents aren't even made aware exactly. of what's going on in the educational system, exactly. in the school systems. In other words, when they go along with this stuff, they're protected. And when they don't go along with this stuff, they're sort of kept out, <laughs> kept, kept right. ignorant. Right. If you, if you don't want this to happen, get your kids out of the public school. That's a good point. Get your kids out of the public school. This is this is where the, that we ought to, that all Catholics ought to prick up their ears and hear what we're talking about here because this is an opportunity for the Catholic Church to expand its educational system. There are more and more people who are sending their kids to school, you know, in Catholic schools. I think it went up uh, just recently here by almost 4%. But the yes. fact is it would go up by a heck of a lot more if we had the capacity to take these kids. Now, the waiting lists are quite extensive of people wanting to get their kids into uh, private schools. Exactly. And in the Catholic schools, too, the waiting list is very long. You have to wait. And there was a ruling in Maine, I think, recently that really goes in favor of the Catholic Church. In other words, in Maine, the people pushed, and this this was being pushed actually by a lot, a lot of people who were, in effect, former liberals who were wanting to get their kids into private schools because the educational system in the public schools is, in a lot of places, not very good. And so they pushed for getting the state to allow money to private secular schools. But the court came in, I think this was the Supreme Court, came in and said that if the government of Maine, the state government, gives money to private secular schools, they also have to give that money to to private religious schools. And so, of course, that would benefit benefit all religious schools, Protestant as well as Catholic, but since Catholics have a lot of schools, it probably will benefit the Catholics to a much greater degree. And, and the fact is, is that uh, this is something that should have been done a long time ago. Right. There's They're no, saying it's discrimination. Exactly, it is. There's no reason that uh, there's no such thing as it because uh, state money would support a kid going to a Catholic school or a Protestant school or any other religious school. It doesn't mean that the state is somehow or another establishing a religion. It is not. And the Establishment Clause doesn't really say that. It says it shall make no law establishing a religion. It doesn't say that kids can't go to school in a religious school and that if the state is handing out money to kids going to school elsewhere, it certainly should be handing out the same amount of money for kids to go to religious school. So this is this is some these are some good things that maybe are happening, and we should push along these lines uh, to do even more. It says, uh, uh, at any rate, it goes on here. It says, but I digress. The author says the point that I am trying to make in describing the aftermath of Dobbs is that one does not defeat a Hydra by cutting by cutting off just one of its heads, and American America's left leaning elite is now making it very clear that it has heads in places other than just the Supreme Court. Our country is in for hard times. Despite this hard blow, the ruling class is almost certainly going to hang on to most of its power, though it may well end up becoming even more disorganized and sclerotic than it already was. That is my prediction, at least, of what the future will be like assuming our country doesn't simply break apart. Such complete uh, demise is a distant possibility, but I wouldn't rule it out. Now that the liberals have no respect at all for the Supreme Court, 
or likewise for the Senate, whose state-based apportionment helped conservatives take over the court, it is possible that even secession will be on some tables. And that is sort of hard to believe, isn't it, Lynn? That uh, there would be states that want to secede and that there, there we could have a, a secession issue again, you know, all this time after the Civil War. Right. But you can see what's happening. I mean, people are getting tired. They're getting fed up with this. And, and the, Everybody else has control over over even your own family, but you don't. And the thing is here, I mean, I, I, I think you jumped to the conclusion, and so did I, that secession would be on the part of the states who disagree with the uh, progressives, you know, that seem to have taken over the country. But it could be if the country starts going in a more conservative direction, it's the progressives who will want to leave. Right. So uh, Well, it, you know, everything the progressives, well— the politicians say they're accusing the other side always of things over and over again. But it's they, the ones that are making these accusations, are the ones that are doing the things. Right. That they're object, you know, the people object to. Yeah, it says here, it, is, it, is, it says that, you know, it goes on here, it says it is possible that even secession will be on some tables. And it says here, imagine it. Donald Trump wins the presidency in 2024 in a close, fraud-ridden election that ends up being decided along party lines in a court that every Democrat considers illegitimate. <laughs> again, again, it might be thrown into the Supreme Court, and they will have to make the decision. And if they decide along conservative lines, then every every liberal will be considering that this is an illegitimate uh, uh, decision. Because now they will be against the court instead of in favor of it because of what happened with Dobbs. And uh, it, he goes on here and he asks the question, will the blue states not at least talk about leaving the union? It is difficult to imagine a secession attempt or a nullification attempt being successfully achieved. Would the army, which is already thoroughly woke, suddenly lay aside its rainbow flags and march against California on behalf of the Trump and rich? Or the Trump and Reich, such a thing is hard to imagine. It yes, is. It is very hard. Very hard to imagine, but you know it is. It is possible. I mean, actually, out in California, there are people in California who don't live on the coast, who live further inland, who would like to see the coastal areas divorced from the inland areas. And then well, maybe there'll be a big earthquake. They don't have to worry about it. And there are other people who point out pretty accurately. That uh, if you take the coastal areas of the United States, if you go from about 50 miles inland from the ocean and draw a line all the way around the United States, you know, from the northern part up in Maine, all the way down around through Florida and back and you know, all along the southern area of the Gulf of Mexico and out to the Pacific Ocean and up to uh, uh, Washington, the state of Washington, if you draw a line 50 miles inland from the ocean, that line is actually uh, outlining one continuous state that, that those people have more in common along the coast than the rest of the people in the interior of the country do. And I think there's a good point to be made there. Yeah, I think so too. So, I mean, it's on both coasts. Right. And it could be that uh, there would be talk of secession along those lines as well. But at any rate, he goes on here, he says, to put it bluntly, nobody knows the future, but we do know that the people who hold most of the institutional power in this country are not going to relax their grip easily. 
After Dobbs, they are licking their wounds, they are snarling with rage, and itching to get back into the ring. It will take a lot of hard work and a fair helping of luck for conservatives to transform the Dobbs case into a lasting victory for the pro-life movement, as well as for the broader cause of reducing federal power. The future looks chaotic, and the exact outcome of this power struggle remains uncertain. The sooner the American people confront the hard realities of the situation, the better their chances. And that's the case, and that's why we've been talking lately, Lynn and I, and I've been talking a lot along these lines, and it may you know, divide people. But nevertheless, I think people are starting to understand there is something, there's an undercurrent going on in this country, and uh, we're taking a turn, in my opinion at least, for the worse. And a lot of people are beginning to understand at least that there is a turn in another direction and that ignoring this and thinking everything somehow is going to be all right and we'll go back to the dead center uh, all by itself. That kind of thinking has got to stop. And I'm thinking that uh, Catholics, especially you know traditional Catholics, Orthodox Catholics, need to be involved in this uh, understanding and in this movement. And we need to hang together on it and understand that uh, the foundation of our country was laid down by the Catholic Church. And a lot of that foundation has been destroyed. And uh, a lot of Catholics themselves need to relook at what uh, their understanding of the Catholic Church is. And we need to start uh, providing some leadership in a different direction and some pushback against the turn, the liberal, progressive turn that our country is taking. We need to take a look around the world to some other countries that have gone down that line and see the negative things that have happened to them and uh, come to understand that we too uh, can have that happen, that we're not impervious to that kind of change and that uh, the world is shifting into a different balance of power and uh, we're living in dangerous times. I guess all times are dangerous, but uh, especially now. And uh, we're going to have to take sides. People are going to have to decide on one side or the other. And it's not going to be so easy to, you know, to be neutral or sit in the middle right. or expect things will be work out okay all by themselves. You know, in Romans 1, uh, Paul says, Though faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they do not, they don't only do them, but they prove those who do practice these things. And they have given up, uh, they, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to their base mind. Well, isn't that what's happening now? We started out without God and the science and so forth, saying there is no God. God is dead. We went. We lived through that, didn't we, Bob? Okay. Exactly. So now today, you know what's right and what's wrong. People do, but even we've got all these people running around killing other people, hurting other people, uh, doing, committing all kinds of crimes. And people seem to approve them. You let them out without bail. They can be out in the streets again. Is not a, that not approving? Yes, it approving is. Approving the evil? Yes, it's it is. It's got to stop. And you're mentioning, you know, I, I would mention, you know, uh, this whole idea 
of John Locke, the, the whole idea that John Locke was a philosopher, of course, and much of our uh, thinking, modern thinking, especially from our founders, was based on a lot of things John Locke said. And the one thing that he got wrong, he said that uh, philosophy has started from the wrong end, meaning that it started from the heavens, it started from God, and we should return it, you know, to start from practicality and the material things of the earth. This is exactly what Oliver Wendell Holmes did, and this is what has led to the abortion decision by the Supreme Court and has led to a runaway court. And this is the issue that is being overturned and uh, the attempt to turn in another direction. And the whole, uh, you know, uh, uh, situation that we're facing right now is an out, you know, is a, a result of that kind of thinking. And you just mentioned it now. In other words, when we turn from the God's world to this world and try to base everything on it and on ourselves and act like God's ourselves, this is the kind of situations we get into. And it's, it's Catholics, happened over and over again right. in history. So we're going to have to stop here. We've over, <laughs> over run our time. But uh, God bless but, everybody out there. Stay involved. Keep up uh, on, what's go- on what's going on. And remember. Keep yeah. in mind what you approve. Right. You know better. And the fact is, is that uh, take pride in being a Catholic. St. Michael the Archangel, given us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust in hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 